0: Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way to our clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Dr. Jenny L. Reed has joined us. Dr. Jenny L. Reed received her MSW from Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. She received her Doctorate of Social Work from Capella University in Minnesota. Her dissertation topic was Improving Communication Between African American Parents and Their Teens Regarding Sexual Health Issues, now published under ProQuest. Dr. Reed joined the University of West Florida Department of Social Work as a full-time clinical assistant professor in January, 2022. Dr. Reed served as the interim field director from May, 2022 until January, 2023. During this time, Dr. Reed served with a team that focused on improving agency vetting as internship sites. Dr. Reed was also part of a collaborative effort To improve the orientation process for students entering their internships, Dr. Reed added approximately 300 new affiliates to serve as intern sites for MSW students. Dr. Reed continues to serve as a facilitator within the field department. Dr. Reed is the MSW program coordinator for UWF School of Social Work and serves on the curriculum, admissions, and assessment committees. Before joining UWF, Dr. Reed developed a counseling program at S.L. Jones Christian Academy. With the help of social work interns, the program continues to provide mental health assessments and referrals to the students at the school who are primarily from lower socioeconomic statuses and may not otherwise receive these valuable services. Dr. Reed is the founder and CEO of Basic Building Blocks, Inc., a 501c3 focused on improving life skills in at-risk teens and young adults in the areas of decision-making, anger management, and communication. Dr. Reed accesses community resources to help fulfill the mission of her nonprofit to bring these skills to the targeted group. Welcome, Dr. Reed. I'm super excited to have you on the show
1: today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay.
0: Dr. Reed, reading your bio, I am super impressed with your effort of obtaining approximately 300 affiliates to serve as intern sites for students. That takes some convincing to others outside of the profession to see the value of having a social worker in their agency. Can you speak to what you
1: believe the value of social work is? Oh my goodness, that's a huge question. I believe, I I believe that social work has so much value that there should not be a business without a social work in house, Um, especially any type of business that serves uh, the community at large, whether that's a hospital, uh, social services, um, any type of nonprofit uh, organization, um, politics, any type of agency that directs its care, because I believe that the value of social worker is that we, we bring those unexpected uh, values from the people that we serve. We're the ones that get in there and dig out the nuggets, um, the, the special uh, talents, um, the, the value of the families, and we're the ones that help to identify that. And it just kind of opens up all sorts of windows for us um, in the community at large. So our value is intrinsic.
0: It really is. And you said that so eloquently and so beautifully. (laughs) I love that you said you believe that social work is so valuable that every single business should not be in operation without one. And not only do you say without one, you said without one in-house.
1: In so house. bring them
0: all the way into the building.
1: Absolutely. Bring them in the building.
0: Yes. And give us a seat at the table. I love that. And let us show you what our value is. Dr. Reed, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Or who did you want to be most like when you were growing up?
1: Um. Well, the interesting thing is that I can't ever really remember wanting to be a certain thing, but I do remember just wanting to um, help. I had an incident in my own family that drove me to want to help protect children, and that's kind of where this drive came from. I didn't really know what a social worker was. I didn't know if there was some type of career that existed, Um, but there was a situation where I was trying to get help for someone that had been harmed. And it was as though no one would listen to me. And I just remember saying, when I grow up, I'm gonna make sure that nobody hurts children. And so um, my career path took me into 17 years of child welfare. And I guess as a young teen, I began to learn about social work. And so that's where I kind of determined that that's what I want to be. I want to be that. I didn't really know what it was, but that's kind of where that started.
0: That is such a great answer. And we're about to lean into your social work journey in just a second. But one of the things, one of the takeaways I just took from listening to what did you want to be when you were growing up is. You saw a professional come in and be impactful in your family, so much so that you wanted to also do that for other family members and or children who, you know, just across the world. You didn't know what it was, but it was such an impactful event that that, it stuck with you. I remember, you know, on, on social media, some of my favorite posts are pictures of now professional adults doing their dream job or dream profession and they either took a picture you know dressed as that person and or um had a signage over them themselves or had written in a a journal of some sort that they wanted to do this thing and then for all these years later for them to to be living that I'm like wow when you were a, a young teenager and to be able to stick through that Uh, It's pretty impressive.
1: I just said, I I just really can't remember ever wanting to be anything else. Mm. So I, I, you know, I've always just wanted to help people in that. That's how it translated.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you know what I was also thinking, Dr.
0: Reed, you know, sometimes these days you see it in movies. I've even seen it in some of my, my, my kids friend spaces you know you say or you mention the word social worker and it's this scary um person coming in to do you know take you know split the family up or whatever yes. and your experience was impactful enough that it was like i want to do that not the taking of children but the you know
1: exactly yeah yeah um as a as a child welfare social worker, unfortunately, one of the things that I did have to do um, on many occasions was remove a child from a home. Um, The the downside is that uh, with that being such a confidential um, action, we cannot explain what is going on. But what we can say is that at the forefront is the the need of that family, how to preserve that family. And sometimes you have to um, move in certain areas in order to make that family whole again. So the objective being is to uh, get that child back into that family, help that family uh, become whole, help that family heal. And so you don't have the advantage in child welfare Of discussing those things you have to simply move in confidence and confidentiality of that family and that unfortunately has to happen at times but it is definitely not something that's taken lightly at all
0: can i tell you how happy i am that you came on here and did such an amazing job of explaining that whole process one for family members who Don't get it at the time, but then get it after the fact. Like, this is why this person had to come in and do that. Um, For kids who just want to be able to be safe, you know, and are even though I know that it could be heart-wrenching, it is also letting um, that baby know that there are people who are looking out for your best interest. And even though you may not be able to see it right now, there are folks out here who are who are rooting for you to be successful and it might take this temporary, uh, adjustment, exactly. um, to get you on that path. And then for, for social workers to hear, oh, I don't ever want to work at, you know, in Florida, I think it's called defects and Alabama, it's, uh, uh, DHR. I, I interviewed somebody in Washington, right. it's called something else, but yes. child welfare, it's child, welfare. <laughs> child welfare, um, child workers protection. to, to, applaud you, Dr. Reed, and say thank you for finally sharing what it is that we do and for other people to be able to hear uh, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And, and we take it very seriously. And it's not a job that we take lightly. And we don't get our flowers uh, yep. in that. And in fact, unfortunately, like you said, um, the the drawback is we get a reputation of, oh, we're the mean Uh, ugly folk who come in and take
1: you learn to understand um, that because it is something that you cannot explain and so you that's how you kind of build that thick skin as a Mm -hmm. social worker and you understand that people don't always understand so you don't hold that against them Uh, and you try to work with them especially the family to help them understand those people that's immediate and um, the outcomes and the the gratitude of them and the thankfulness when that when that family becomes whole again um, is just it's unspeakable reward for that social yeah. worker.
0: Yeah, it may not be public, right? Exactly. Yeah, but it, it's definitely done. Oh, that was so beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Reed, for that. That was an unexpected blessing today. Doctor, do you mind going ahead and leaning into, I know we talked about uh, philosophically the work you did for 17 years, but start from the beginning. What was your, what is your social work journey?
1: Well, um, my social work journey is vast. Um, I actually came into the child welfare actually in the last 20 years of my career. and uh, But I've worked in the prison system In Nevada, as a case manager, Um, I did uh, group home work in the state of California where I managed um, uh, a psychiatric group home there for troubled teens, usually who were involved with um, the court system, the juvenile court systems there, as well as um, having some other mental health issues and they could not remain in the home either because. they could not be managed by the parents or the court deemed that it was better if they were in some type of ongoing um, situation where they could get ongoing mental health services. So that basically kind of walked me all the way through to um, child welfare. I always wanted to work in child welfare. I was able to do that within the state of Mississippi, uh, moving from investigations of abuse and neglect, uh, also involving adult um, as well, self neglect, um, all the way into uh, the, which is different a little bit, the foster care in which we license foster care homes. So I, the only thing I think I did not do was adoptions um, directly, uh, but moved into supervision. And that's pretty much where I ended my career with supervisions. And child welfare in in Mississippi, Doctor
0: Reese, you have your BSW, your yeah. MSW, your D. We were talking about your a, a triple threat earlier, right? <laughs> I would right. love to hear about your educa your social work education journey. Like, you know, undergraduate, you knew or somehow in there you figured out social work is where it, where it's at, and then you went into your MSW and now have you know your doctor. Jenny L. Reed, uh, DSW. Can you talk to us about your social work education journey?
1: Um, I absolutely can. I received my BSW from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. And after that, um, I ended up um, just starting, like I said, with um, different small um jobs in social work and just started to push me into um, the group homes and those sorts of things. And that's where I began to realize that I was going to need more education if I was going to be able to provide more services. Because the one thing about social work is that uh, based on your degree level, you're limited on what you could do. And so one of the things that I knew I wanted to do um, was I wanted to uh, work in child welfare. And one of the things that I had begun to learn was that the child welfare system was moving in a direction where they really wanted uh, social workers with master's degrees. And even though those social workers were not providing direct mental health services, because we were dealing with so many of our families that were either uh, dealing with themselves, the parents with mental health issues, the children with mental health issues uh, or mental health disease of some sort, uh, that's where that path was going. So everything I began to see that was uh, climbing indicated that I want I needed that masters of social work to, uh, for me to move up. And um, so one of the, One, I never really was interested in um, clinical social work as a private practice social worker, Um, but that was also something on the radar that if I wanted to do that, I had to have that master's degree. So in order to move up in this career, you have to layer that education. And so it took me many years because life happens and um, I became a single mom after divorce And I focused in on my career as much as possible, but also on my children. And um, when my youngest daughter was, in fact, a senior in high school, that's when I went back uh, to Jackson State uh, to uh, complete my MSW. And um, soon after that, uh, it was actually my children that encouraged me to um, seek my doctorate. I had always now was interested in teaching uh, because I had a lot of knowledge, that I'd amassed a lot of knowledge about the career. And I wanted to be able to share that with younger social workers. Um, my, my, my career as a child welfare social worker especially gave me the opportunity to mentor um, or to supervise interns. And that's when I really got into really wanting to pass that knowledge. I began to feel sort of an obligation to do that. Um, and so it was really uh, my children that encouraged me. And I said, well, I can teach with the master's. And they said, well, yeah, you can. And I thought about it. And I said, well, I'll never be able to be a full professor if I don't get that doctorate. And I said, let's go for it. Um, and that's really what... pushed me. I actually, um, the same year that I completed my master's degree from Jackson State, I actually enrolled that October in Capella University and completed um, my DSW several years later. Such a great story.
0: (laughs) I love it.
1: And I love that you had the
0: momentum going. It felt like, you know, you had that BSW for years, did the work, was in the trenches. Well, all that, whatever, having just the BSW, yes. there's a there's value there, but oh, yes. there's so much more potential, as you said, with that MSW, whatever licensing experiences you want to have. And like you said, wow. HD or the DSW, but you had that BSW for years and some people, you know, often think, oh, I've just been doing this for so long. I'll just keep doing it. Or they're complacent or, or it's been so many years. Since I was out of college, what would that even look like going back? But you didn't let none of that stop you. <laughs> <I loved it. laughs> you didn't no, let I none do. of those reasons why people don't go back. And I'm curious, I'm going to finish my thought, but I'm also curious about, and you went back to Jackson State, which I must mean they have a, a program that makes you feel at home. But then as soon as you got that momentum going, you just kept it going went straight into that DSW and now you're sitting in this academic seat of both being the field director and now the MSW program uh, coordinator. I am like, the trajectory of your whole life changed when you went back to school. I did. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, I There was um, right before um, right in between my child welfare uh, experience, I actually went to the Department of Health. And um, so I kind of watched the child welfare system transform from a distance. And um, I, I I missed it. And so I decided to leave uh, uh, public health and go back into the... Um, the child welfare system. Um, And so that's when I, when I, when I went back, I knew that that trajectory for them was that they wanted those persons with the MSW. And so I was able to go into supervision, um, the supervision level based on my BSW uh, degree and my experience, but in order to maintain it I had to bring that MSW to the table uh, because they were were seeking those higher skills uh, for child welfare because we know how important it is. And um, so that's pretty much, um, you know, those those agencies understand the value. They really do understand the value of the MSW in so many areas for supervision, um, for policy reviews. And and all of that so that value and that is there
0: absolutely absolutely it is i have um this is a social work question and those in social work will get it okay (laughs) now that you're sitting on this macro view right i'm wondering how do you feel and i know you are in what ways are you impacting still the meso micro field in in the sphere of social work called child welfare? So now that you're at the macro level, how do you feel like you are still impacting the meso and micro level of the child welfare stream?
1: Well, definitely through the education of social work students, in my case, MSW students, and um, bringing that experience, that very real grassroots experience to them, uh, being able to carefully share with them real-time stories, uh, real things that have happened. Um, They can see me and they can say, so you survived that career path. Yes, I did. I survived child welfare. Um, I, I learned to go into people's homes, I learned to teach them um, uh, skills that they needed to change their paths themselves. I also um, strengthened my ability to treat people uh, with dignity and respect that other people would say did not deserve dignity and respect. Um, Putting that empathy to real practice uh, for people that are marginalized. Uh, Because sometimes we think our clients are always the victim. Sometimes our client is the perpetrator uh, of situations. And so we bring those, you know, real uh, practical um, uh, tenets of social work to that classroom and say, you've got to be able to treat people that society would Uh, bring this thing upon, you've got to be the one that brings that respect to them and that dignity to them in that, in their moment as your client. And you've got to do this. You don't get to pick and choose who you're going to uh, treat uh, fairly and with respect. You have to bring this as a full uh, commitment to this profession, because this is what this profession is about because this is how we get to deliver those services because now people understand that we're there for their good we're not there to harm them we're there to help them and if it comes down to them rejecting then we respect their right to determine self-determination is one of the most difficult things for students to grasp because sometimes they feel like well they shouldn't make that choice or Um, A mom who's been in domestic violence should not choose uh, this path or that path. You don't get to make those determinations. You have to be committed to the tenants of this profession. And so bringing that into the classroom and giving them a perspective where I've had to uh, do those very things and understand that maybe I had a different belief about it, but that's not what I was there for. I was not there for my belief. I was there to service that family and uh, that client.
0: Yell it from the rooftop. (laughs) The client's right to self-determination. Yes. And the value of having real-life social work practice and bringing it to the classroom is priceless. It is priceless, right? Because it doesn't look like one of the textbooks.
1: It doesn't look like the textbook, no. (laughs)
0: Say <laughs> it looks like so awesome. I love that so much, Doctor Reed. I could I could sit here and talk social work with you for hours, but I I need to ask the next question. Okay. One of the premises of this podcast is to create community. In what ways do you feel like you are a part of specific social work communities, and are there any communities that you feel like you've created that social workers are a part of?
1: Um. Well. Um, actually, I would definitely uh, like to expand uh, my local community connection with my other professionals. I would love to do that. Um, I've only been in my particular area for a short period of time, so I would like to see that expand. But at the private school, and I will call their name S.L. Jones Christian Academy, um, in developing the program for them called Counseling and professional services for the last five years. That started with me and a request from the principal to try to bring another aspect of of assessment to their students. Uh, Because one of the things they were doing um, was not really working for them when students had some severe behaviors, they didn't really have a lot of options for those students and they didn't really know what direction to send them in. And sometimes it just meant the student having to leave the school, but with no direction. And so I was able to develop a program for them in which when there's a behavior issue, we were able to get in, make some assessment and make some referrals to the parents. So in that regard, we brought social work to that private school, uh, which necessarily would not have uh, even hired a social worker not really knowing what value that social worker could bring. Um, After that, I was able to bring in interns from the University of West Florida, and um, they were able to expand and build upon what I was um, already doing there, and in turn get that practice that they needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happened was then, um, the the principal then hired a second social worker to help with that, and uh, and it just kind of uh, moved from there. So now we're bringing in other social workers from other uh, social work students from other interns. I would love to see that school go to um, two full-time social workers because the need is definitely there, and um, for them to now be able to have a second source for those parents, giving them recommendations, um, uh, helping them in-house with the teachers, giving them uh, some guidance in the classroom, how to deal with certain behaviors in the classroom, and just building their knowledge of maybe working with children with some difficult and challenging uh, behaviors and able to keep in and in, in order to keep that child in the classroom. So we've built some social work uh, values there. And, um, and because that school has a religious background to it, sometimes that uh, social work and religion sometimes clash. And so being able to uh, be, um, combine those communities together has been uh, a very, um, it's, it's, been, it's been a reward to see kind of the, the, the layers come off and, and they start to embrace social work and say, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not here to just um, dominate you. We're here to add um, some value to what you're already doing. And we're not here as your, as your enemy. We are here um, to just expand um, the, and help with the needs of your students. And for them to start to embrace us um, has been very rewarding. So in that way, we've expanded community. And just to have those uh, interns leave And um, go out into the community. Um, They've come through uh, that internship, and they've gotten some valuable things. So, in that way, that community uh, is always expanding.
0: That's it. Yeah, that's it. And did I hear that is so great? I love that. You know, I was talking to a school social worker recently. I think in season one, and loving the momentum we got going with social workers being the public school. And you just kind of blew that up and it's like, <laughs> no, we're also in the private schools and would love to see your program being a blueprint for other private schools yes. to catch on and say this is not social workers aren't just in the public school setting. We're also in the private schools. What why are your needs any different from the exactly. from the babies in the public school and how and let us be of assistance to you, oh, Doctor Reed, that's awesome. That yes, is put so- it, put
1: us in the budget. Put us in the budget. Yes,
0: Make is a line item. <laughs> I exactly. Love it. I love it, Doctor Reed. What is one belief about social work when you started that uh, you feel has changed the most since the time you uh, began? Um. Well.
1: I, I don't know if it was a belief that I held, but it was definitely a philosophy, I would say, of, of one of my instructors at Grambling State University. I uh, I was always interested and was asking questions about, well, why can't we prevent some of these, these things that go on? And um, one of the things the professor said, and I believe that it was in good intent was that, um, well, we we don't come in at prevention, we come in when the problem starts. So I would say that that would be the biggest change. And I didn't I did ever wanna embrace that, but I, it, it bothered me uh, that, well, why do we have to just always come in when a problem starts? So I think the thing has changed is that we can get ahead of some of these problems. We just have to do it in different ways and we have to come in with the education piece. Even if we come in in the problem, we can possibly find ways to prevent other problems or from those problems getting bigger. So that prevention piece is still available to us. And I think that is what I've, I'm happy to now know that we do have the ability to prevent certain things through that education piece that we don't always get the time to do or we don't always get the public money to do. And I think that is what he, that professor was trying to tell me is that the public money that is there when the problem exists like child welfare is not always there. Uh, for prevention. And I begin to understand that later. Um, And so hopefully, maybe in years, we'll see that change as well. We may begin to see some public money, some some government money going towards bigger preventions um, that that social workers can um, spearhead, because we we know what those problems, um, we know where they come from.
0: We do, and that's why we need to make sure we continue to have social workers at the policy level, yes. right? Yeah, that was always my favorite class. Was
1: I love? I love policy. Yeah, we don't, yeah. We, we couldn't get through it if we start talking about policy. I know we
0: won't go there. You're speaking about love language today, Doctor Reed. I'm loving it. I do have, you know, it's it's been it's just filled my cup. So thank you for saying yes. I love talking about social work but I just have one final question we talked a lot Dr. Reed about value and just the, all the different areas social workers are in and we see how multi-talented you are Um but one of the things you <laughs> yes you know what are the things that uh, I think you taught us Today, you know how to you you know. Also, I talked about you speaking my love language, or just social work. But apparently, you know how to speak business owner love language. One, you know, to get three hundred business owners or businesses to agree to be, you know, social work intern sites to have your own business to work in work speak to the business of private schools and like this is good for business having a social work a social worker in, in your school. And one of the words that she used repeatedly during our conversation was value, right? And so um, you know, when I think about value, I'm also thinking about monetary value and how social workers bring monetary value um through prevention work, right? To businesses as well. But one of the things social workers I think are really good at is, you know, working with the people, you know, working with the working the grassroots, but sometimes we kind of struggle a little bit with that business aspect, right? With the money and the, and the coins and the, and doing what it takes to run a successful business. You are running one. You didn't bring it up um, only in the bio. If you want to shout it out, obviously I would love for you to be able to do that. But can you talk to the social workers who are wanting to be business owners? and uh,
1: help get us started. Wow. Well, you're probably talking about my nonprofit, which is a 501c3 basic building blocks. And I am definitely still building that. Um, but I I had, a, it, it's the education piece, that prevention piece that was driving me all the way back from uh, BSW. And um, what i wanted to do was i wanted to be able to put that into some type of momentum so i i've looked i looked into what it would mean to to have a nonprofit, and i'm definitely still looking for funding for that i have some minor funding um, at, and what what rang true was that that prevention money is not there but there's money there's grant money out there for that, and then there's private donors that uh, people that get behind you, and so basically, uh, what what I did was, um, and I'm still doing. Um, I brought a group of people together. I talked to them um, about my my vision, so to speak, of what I wanted to do, and um, the three tenets of of it basically is to uh, target those. Um, at-risk youth that I worked mostly with in child welfare, in the public health, in the group homes, uh, those ad- who became adults in, in the prison system. So those people that, that I had uh, seen throughout, and I thought, what if um, I could teach them three skills that I saw missing in most of my clients throughout my 30-plus years of Uh, grassroots social work. I I saw the inability to um, make decisions, the inability to resolve conflicts um, without any type of violence and not being able to just communicate their needs. Um, And and that brings a lot of frustration. And so I brought that group of people around me. Uh, We started to look in what it meant to to do and uh, we went on the website for, in this case, nonprofits, um, just going on the, the, um, the, the state websites to see how do you start this? Uh, what do you need? Uh, you need a board, you need all of these type of things. Um, and so um, I just started to do the research on what to do, um, how to obtain um, a 501c3 um, status. And basically, it's building that team, building, build a team around you, um, people that are like-minded. The interesting in, uh, part is that I did not get another social worker to work with me until um, almost three years in uh, to uh, starting my nonprofit. And, and that's one of the things that I, I hope to take to definitely take to another level Um, in the next year or so. Uh, Right now, uh, like I said, I use a lot of community resources to help bring those um, life skill classes. So I pull them in to teach those students um, those skills, and um, as well, I provide some, but not most. Mine is mostly consulting and kind of oversight and just kind of driving the machine. And, but basically start at that, um, that state level. How do you start a, a nonprofit? Um, if you want to do an LLC, you could do quite the same. If you wanted to do something of that nature, you basically just start with, start with that research for um, at the state levels to see what it is that you need to do, build a team around you, um, write the vision, make it plain. And and then you go from there. Um, If you if you have the ability to already know that there's a need, um, then, um, you know, you capitalize on the fact that you already see that need and fulfill that need. And that's that's basically it for me. That's kind of how it started.
0: I love that. That was so great. Very thorough, too. I heard. See what the gap is. Do your research and then write it down. Yes, that's that's what I heard. It's like there's always gaps in services and social workers are so good at seeing what those gaps are. Yes. And then if it's a passion of yours, right, we'll see lots of gaps, but then whatever that passion is of yours, right. go in that direction, see the see the need, fill the gap, do your research and then write it down. I love that so much. Dr. Jenny L. Reed, it was so good. Having I mean, you on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast today.
1: Thank you. This is very exciting. I'm so glad to uh, have been made aware of this podcast. Now, definitely be uh, an avid listener.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. We love that. Dr. Reed can be reached at basicbuildingblocks1 at mail.com and at 850 281
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work. And please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.